podcast about architecture and landscape from the Kingston School of Art in London. My name is Andrew Clancy. First up, with apology, you know, there's been a little bit of a break in our usual rate of production. It's been a busy time. Uh, I've just had a third child. Uh, plus, there's been exams and all of that. So we took a little break. But the good news is that means we've built up a, enough now to get a podcast out every two weeks over the summer. And there's some very exciting ones coming up. So do stay tuned for uh, conversations with Gunter Vogt, with Alvaro Siza, with John and Sheila of O'Donnell and Toomey. Uh, with Taka Architects and many more. Um, in this episode, we are interviewing the collector and curator and thinker about architecture, Neil Hobhouse. I'm joined in this interview with Mary Vaughan Johnson, the head of our department here in Kingston. Mary is also co-organising together with Frederica Goffey, a major conference here next week. We're hosting this year's uh, Frascari Symposium. And over two days, we're going to be delving into the secret lives of drawings, their archives, and their ongoing relevance as a site for architectural thinking. Neil, therefore, makes an obvious candidate for the interview, which should go out before that. In some senses, he's so well known that his presence and the presence of his archive is an inevitability now in the European and UK context, and it's difficult to imagine the scene without it. However, we cannot take it for granted. Neil is a collector of drawings and of the thinking of architects, uh, building his collection over the last decades to being the single most significant one in privately held hands. And in fact, because of the nature of how he curates and distributes and shares the knowledge of the archive, it's probably more significant and more valuable even than many larger collections in major institutions. Drawing Matter, the organisation that he set up to manage this, has become a place of pilgrimage for scholars and students from all over the world and a place of an enabling discourse, opening up the door to young, uh, diverse architects who are thinking of studying architecture, right the way up to PhD work and other visiting scholars. It's a live place where, not, where the drawings and the thinking of the drawings is a source for inspiration. It is not overly concerned with perfection, but instead has hunted out with curiosity and a deafness of eye, moments of doubt, moments where the productive thinking of an architect had been transformed and where it might be found in the drawn work. And as such, it's a continually fascinating place. In this interview, Mary and I tease all this out with Neil, the history of how it happened and the thinking which informs it. I do hope you enjoy the podcast. Neil, welcome to the Kingston School of Art. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. And Mary, thank you so much as well for being my co-interviewer today. Fantastic. And thank you for having me here and appreciate being part of this conversation. <laughs> so basically, this conversation, we've known each other for years and Mary's known you as well, but pretend not to get into the kind of meat of where people come from and how they arrive where they are. I knew you by reputation long before I met you. And I guess the good place I want to start is... How did you arrive at becoming this collector of architectural works and drawings? I mean, when did that interest start? Is it possible to identify a moment? It so much depends on which story I tell you, I think. Uh, but the, the, the simplest narrative, I can't make it that short, but I'll try, the, is that I was uh, an art dealer for uh, 40 years of my life. Uh, not essentially interested in this architectural material, but dealing very frequently, uh, my real interest was in 16th and 17th century painting, mm. De find myself dealing very frequently with institutions like the Metropolitan Museum and uh, the Getty, which also had collections of this material. I had my own interest in architecture and my own complicated regret about not having studied architecture at Cambridge. Mm. That's, a, that's, that's another... Well, uh, I might just pick up there yeah. because... So you, you didn't study architecture. What did you study? I went to, I went to Cambridge to uh, read English uh, and realised very quickly that that was a... Uh, mistake because it felt I don't know if you know the thing in Goodbye to All That where Graves is called in by his professor Quilacucci in his first year and 
reading English at Oxford and Kulakuch says, Mr. Graves has a problem with your work. It's quite clear from reading your essays that you like some books more than others. <laughs> and that was kind of my problem too at, at uh, Cambridge and I uh, tried philosophy and turned out not to be very good at it. And then I went to see Leslie Martin, who kind of saw me coming. Mm. I mean, he saw this refugee from literature, a refugee from philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, dear boy, you know, it's very difficult for us to take students who are not good at mathematics. Mm. It was kind of nonsense. In yeah. architecture. It was kind of total nonsense because I looked around, they all had their calculators and their slide rules and God knows what. But mm. it was a sort of polite rejection. So the, my response to that was to disappear into the Fitzwilliam Museum. So I spent the rest of my time, which was not full term at Cambridge, I mean, otherwise I did two years, uh, looking at pictures and going around Europe, eating with my eyes. I mean, that was the, that's what I... Um, and I've always rather wondered whether, in practice, becoming an art dealer wasn't a bit like deciding to read literature in it. I may have cast myself as the victim, but it was actually a way of cauterizing the emotion, so mm. it didn't. Um, so in principle, you were still doing the same thing. I was, I was trying, in fact, yeah. I was overdosing on something and then having to protect myself mm. by, in the case of art dealing, creating this kind of professional frame mm. in which uh, the pictures were actually less threatening. All of which raises, of course, very funny questions about what the hell I'm doing now with all the architectural drawings. And maybe the drawings are this sort of meta world where, uh, which can't ever quite get the better of me. I don't know anything about art dealing, right? right. Except that it seems to me that an acuity of sight is required. Yeah, and that was kind of all I really needed. The difficulty is that... Uh, over time, this terrible screen comes down between you and this work of art that you were mm. excited by. Mm. You kind of know the value. You're looking at the condition. You're worrying about the mm. frame. You're thinking about the politics of the Museum Acquisition Committee somewhere in the Middle West that you and know you doesn't like, won't yeah. like New Testament subjects yeah. or won't like religious subjects. You know, so you. You, you develop a way of looking at the things that is like a thousand miles from... Reading uh, literature. Uh, yes, or, but also a thousand miles, sadly, a thousand yeah. miles from actually just standing in front of the Titian mm. and mm. Uh, letting your jaw, jaw drop. Mm. You, you mentioned to me in an earlier conversation that you had a relationship with CCA, or it was there that you... Which, in a way... Gap. In a way, brings me back to the mm. to this version of the how I began narrative. Mm. Um, <laughs> that was the story you yeah, told me. Yeah, yeah, fine. So, and and I mean, and so I'm going to yeah. give you some version of it again, which is you can tell me how it's changed. How's that? Um, uh, what I, I I was in ninety one ninety two, um, uh, s sort of suddenly confronted with the fact that um, the Getty Research Institute had, in a way, lost their way. They'd invented a structure of, and Nicholas would, I think, mm -hmm. um, confirm this, they'd invented a structure of acquisition committees where they were all sitting there kind of going, we need this, rather than responding mm -hmm. to the market, which made it impossible, actually, for them to go on collecting. Mm -hmm. Um, Nicholas at that moment had moved to the Canadian Centre for Architecture, which, uh, I mean, one version of it is that they had spent too much money building the building, and mm. there was a, a real question about how long or how the acquisition funds could be eked out. Another was that Nicholas, I think rather brilliantly, decided that the whole focus of their collecting needed to shift to more or less contemporary practice. 
So they, there was a policy then to go after Peter Eisenman, to go after Cedric Price, to go mm -hmm. after Sterling, which, which, if he hadn't done that in that three or four year period, mm. the CCA would be um, really floundering um, mm. now to have any voice. And it's sort of interesting mm. how, how timely the Sterling acquisition was and how uncomfortably say the Eisenman you know the, mm. I, I I go to a lot of reviews I listen to the kids Eisenman um, isn't ever advanced as a reference mm. Mm -hmm. it's very it's sort of strange who makes it through mm -hmm. or who I mean I'm not saying Peter won't come straight back in 20 years time but he's not he's not for some you know Hedrick is time, and Eisenman yeah. isn't why I, uh, yeah. Do you I, want? Do you want to well, I, I, <laughs> tell I, us? I, well, my feeling is that, as somebody who looked to Eisenman as a student, yeah, and I think a lot of the generation that are now educating did in their early years, yeah. and then you go to the buildings and they're so profoundly terrible, that the whole discourse that he established, which is that theory supplants the artifact completely, that the building can be as bad as you like, but as long as the conceptual argument is strong. But we're still crazy about Rossi, uh, and. But it may be, of course, an argument why the, for why the really powerful references are Superstudio and Cedric Price. It's exactly. actually because they were never built. Yeah, but I was going to say, I do think that uh, Eisenman will be back on the tables because I feel that turn. I was having a conversation with a colleague, a young architect recently, where he was talking, his work is profoundly, uh, it's theoretical in the sense that all of us value it, mm. but not theory as guiding the practitioner's hand. But he was talking back again about French philosophy, about all this stuff, which is all fascinating. But my point and the generation that we would be part of is that I've never been moved by that to make a beautiful room so much as a beautiful room has. And that seems to be the theoretical discussion, which is that Rossi was a far more enabling discourse because of the ambiguity of the texts mm -hmm. and of the images. And the buildings themselves, while having deficiencies in construction and so are, are footnotes. In but, but they're also part of the imagery yeah. that's enabling. Whereas I think that you could see Eisenman's actualist texts and even the buildings are disabling, distancing, elitist. They belong to a certain type of discourse which is quite alienating, actually. Where, do you know what I mean? Maybe I'm wrong. I was never engaged by Eisenman, actually. Yeah. Even when I was in school, he was never... Whereas Rossi was definitely, for me, much more accessible. In, I mean, in sort the, of historic, in understanding history, the narrative, which is what I tended to be more drawn to. It's an interesting discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Eisenman, to me, tended to be somewhat abstract. I yeah. think it's, yeah. I mean, yes, the, the, the poetic intention with Rossi mm. is very clear. Yeah. I mean, you can't... Mm. You, that's whatever's going on intellectually as well. You can't avoid that aspect of it. Whereas with Eisenman, you feel that that has all been sifted out, and and so these statements are being made mm -hmm. to within a tiny circle in the profession. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting one because that goes really to what one chooses to collect and what one doesn't like, which is interesting because. You differ from CCA. Let's bring it back to that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just interested because yes. you're different from CCA. You don't have an acquisitions committee. So yeah. the collector is, it's a biographical. It becomes yeah. personal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and can I go back one more and just finish? Because that's how you started. Yeah. And then, because it will answer itself. Which The, the third uh, big beast in the architectural drawings jungle at that moment was the Metropolitan Museum. But, of course, collecting uh, much earlier material. Yeah. And, but it, this, this kind of collapse at the Getty, the collapse at the CCA, happened at the same time as uh, George Goldner, who had been the paintings and drawings curator at the Getty, moved to the Met uh, as the drawings curator. And he, uh, I'm paraphrasing a bit, but he rang me as he took up the job and he said... Neil, don't worry, I'm not going to collect any of that architectural crap. We've got the best collection in the world of pre of 18th and 17th and 16th, and I mean, the early material. 
and you know there's more coming from James Jane Wrightsman. I want to concentrate resources on you know three great drawings a year or whatever. It was a, anyway. It was a change. It was a shift. So the and I have to be honest about this. The art dealer in me was kind of sitting there going. Uh, all all markets are underpinned by default institutional buyers. Mm. Uh, of none of them work without it. It's yeah. not that they buy everything yeah, or yeah. that they always buy at the top of the market. I, there's this fascinating situation where uh, they've all just, they've all evaporated for different reasons in the same. Period. I'm just and I was already collecting a bit. We we'd already bought. Ludwig Hautecker's collection when I was still at Hasley Gooden and Fox and I was I had the opportunity because I was leaving Hazlitt of buying out of the Hautecker collection 20 or 30 things that I thought were kind of critical so there was a call and I thought I'm just going to see what happens mm. without looking without stirring up a market against myself by actually trying to sell it mm. I'm just going to see how far down the road I've got. I can get. The joke, of course, is entirely on me because here I am nearly 30 <laughs> years later and there is still no default institutional. Uh, not really. You know, there are, there are these strange moments when, you know, M plus in Hong Kong kind of comes out of its box and buys Archigram and then disappears again. You know, but it doesn't fundamentally... Shift the but how quickly did your collection grow? Because well, it grew it's it, it, honestly relatively, um, uh, relatively slowly. What happened very quickly mm -hmm. was that instead of being just like I'm trying to get out there ahead of the the, the institutions, it became a critique of what the institutions were doing. Mm -hmm. Quite active. Actually how they collect and then latterly how they uh, program and orchestrate and display I mean so the, the mm -hmm. critique the, the impatience in a way grew and the, 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 the nicer way of saying that is that as drawing matter got going we realised that that the game should always be to say what can we do that an institution by dint of being an institution cannot, cannot. but the paralysis I saw by this time no I mean I now can't remember the dates but quite shortly I mean at some point in the 90s I got much closer to the CCA actually after Nicholas Osberg had left and Merkel was already in place became a trustee there became a trustee at the Sony Museum realized in a way that I was in the minds of the institutions I was the trustee who was supposed to be the voice of the drawings collections mm -hmm. but it's not a it's not a voice that's ever allowed to uh, be too talk, loud to, to be too loud mm -hmm. and I I saw them in a way allowing themselves quite willingly quite I mean, almost consciously, to become defeated by the very things that, at least in theory, they existed mm. to... That's why they existed. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. They existed because of these collections, not in the end because of the programmes or the exhibitions or whatever. The thing that guarantees that the CCA will still be there in mm -hmm. 100 years' time is the need to preserve the collections. The thing that uh, I've always maintained that, that Soane made the drawings collection not because he liked the Adams architecture or Chambers's architecture or really wanted to be associated with it, but because he knew that that would always be the kind of ethical and yeah. financial argument for, for, for him. Mm. And that was a... Uh, that was quite a. That was really quite shocking mm. for me. Mm. I was I was um, startled by, um, and I, this is not 
even to address, you know, MoMA's collecting policy, for instance, which was so much about what you could hang on the wall. Mm. Um, that no instinct, no impulse to um, collect whole projects rather than the single iconic, mm -hmm. uh, you know, final image that that they could imagine displayed in a gallery mm. interesting. so that was a um, uh, and you know and then with the younger collections it was that was always the issue is was was sort of exhibitability and um, that lineage as you started to switch from being an arts dealer to an architectural collector mm -hmm. which initially sounds tactical but well, sorry, you know, I should be really frank. Initially, it was almost tactical. But it sounds like there's a bit where the publican starts to drink his own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 totally. <laughs> totally. And that's what I'm really interested in. Yeah, no, no, and, and the reality is that I only, I mean, the tough bit is that I only developed this critique of the institutions by actually becoming part of them. But if we look at that institution, if we want to call Drawing Matter one... Don't. I, I live in... <laughs> I, I, I spend now... I haven't told you about the current thing. I spend my life trying to think of ways in which I cannot become an institution. But this is where I was coming from. Because what's <laughs> remarkable about that is that our, the, the nature of, say, something for archive or something for display, yeah. is it, those divisions don't exist in the way that you've constructed your collection. But what I'm really interested in as well is this point where you become somebody who hunts down the moment that a project might be generated and that the project becomes iterated in a practice. Mm -hmm. Because what's interesting to me about the collection is it covers all kinds. There are complete, perfect works of, work, of, 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 of representation. But you always seem far more compelled by the moment that you can see a lens in the drawing that takes us somewhere else where potentially we can see the architect working something out or something happening in the work. Was that something that was present from the start or was that something that you became attracted to when you saw it? No, I think it, it's also important to say that the, the principal focus in the early years was on the 16th and 17th and 18th. Yeah. To some extent, Architectural the French 19th century. Um, so that was going to be my question. Yeah. How you, because you were collecting art from this period. Yeah. And whether you and, and the distinction is, uh, the distinction in those centuries mm -hmm. is not so real anyway. That the the I mean the I, I'm now going to get the statistic entirely wrong, but you know there are 430 uh, accepted Raphael drawings, mm -hmm. of which 30 are architectural, and they're all on the reverse of figure studies. Mm. Oh, so, uh, this is somebody whose drawings were collected in their lifetime well, and fetishized in their lifetime. Yeah. Even for Raphael, yeah, the architectural material was thrown away. And, yeah. uh, you know, so th that was something that really fascinated me this idea in those centuries that these things are, in any way, just chance, lucky survivors mm. yeah. of a in, uh, process in which their utility has long, or their, their imagined utility has long evaporated. So, in general, in that, for that kind of thing, you you take you take what you can get if if you love the drawing, mm -hmm. um, and uh, it will be uh, the earliest thing that I could call a sketchbook or a sketch is you know Soldani in Florence in the um, 1660s 1670s but even then it's not a sketchbook it's actually a piece of paper folded that he clearly carried in his uh, pocket uh, it's partly that sketching practice doesn't exist in the same way with, with remarkable exceptions like more like Michelangelo, mm -hmm. um, uh, but it's so for sure that nobody kept it. Yeah. So your interest in art tended to be on sketches. Well, th that, in a way, 
to, to answer mm. your question, Andrews, uh, it became also very. Um, it became very clear when my focus shifted, maybe ten years ago, towards contemporary, more more contemporary practice. Mm -hmm. I was sort of, uh, and that in itself is a story. It, 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 of course, was a passionate interest of mine, but it also, I realised, and this is kind of like a strategic. Uh, an admission that there's strategic thinking going on as well. I also realised that I needed the more or less contemporary material to make the collection as a whole um, uh, interesting and mm -hmm. relevant. I c you, you can't just show people Chinkle drawings or Bessier right. drawings or whatever it is. Um, you You have to... What you actually have to do is show them a... Uh, a Persier drawing to prove that Persier's problems were not so different yeah. from yeah, Caesar's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that was sort of, uh, this is kind of, I think, another important footnote, which is so many of the institutions were trapped, it seemed to me, in the specificity of their mission. So the problem which the RIBA has is that it is effectively the National Archive of Architectural mm. Drawings. It's really difficult for them to buy wonderful drawings that have no UK or, or um, right. British um, dimension. Yeah. Uh, difficult for them to raise the money, difficult for them to argue that against an export license stop or mm -hmm. um, all of these things that and then in a strange way um, where it comes down to and I think Charles Hind would agree on this actually just very difficult to buy anything unless they're challenged for exportation I yes, mean, yes. Um, and so we have I have a sort of understanding with the RIBA that every now and then they ask me to buy something because they know they're not going to be in a position to and they um, uh, they kind of know that it won't then slip out of the country without a license you know it's mm -hmm. it, they at least know where it is and that mm -hmm. it's in the UK and that there is a level of public access yeah but I imagine that still kind of breaks down along those lines to do with a work that is perfected and descriptive and a work yep. that's exploratory. They're sitting there thinking, well, could it be and in an exhibition? Yeah, and also uh, belonging to a particular history. And belonging to a particular yeah. history. And that, of course, biases them towards mm -hmm. presentation material. Let's call it, anyway, client-facing or public-facing material. Mm -hmm. I think, to answer Andrew's question, original question I'm sorry I can't remember how long ago you asked it uh, but I seem to remember you um, one of my um, my prejudice if you like against it's too strong but my resistance to presentation material is that in general uh, they have been reproduced they reproduce really well yeah uh, so that there's actually not as much you can say, and, and indeed we're often made for reproduction. That's why the Super Studio material I've got to is all kind of pre-collage, mm. almost all, because uh, it actually the collages were not made as, even though they're now treated by the market as that, they weren't made as discrete art objects. They were actually made were to be photographed yeah. and turned into a poster or mm. whatever. Mm. The same with Archigram. Uh, so you want to push behind that if there's to be any premium on looking at the original mm. and any real clues. And if you're looking for real clues about how the image, the final image developed, mm. and kind of we know them all. That's the other yeah, side. I think that's what's really interesting about it is that this is a uh, 
if we look at say art practice, yeah, and I'm kind of reminded here of when I was doing that piece with Tina for your website, yeah. I was chatting with an artist friend of mine, it's good. and um, and this this artist Keen McLaughlin was trained as an architect, but is painter now, and he sent me this quote from John Elderfield of the MoMA, and he made this really interesting point about painting, which was that the there's a moment with Matisse where what we see in the work is the judgment of the artist as to the correctness of the mark, not by any external criteria, but solely by the reaction it creates within them. And that the difficulty of this mode of practice, of course, is how you match instinct and self-criticism to this kind of equilibrium mm. that's set up within the artist in that context. So what he's saying is in the painting, we're watching Matisse, watching his own reactions as we watch the picture, which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. the, we're watching him manage the picture. And I think that if we take that kind of empathetic connection in a way, and it doesn't transcend all art practice, but there is this kind of very direct one-as-to-one -one conversation happening between the practitioner and the audience in a lot of conditions in contemporary art, mm. to do with empathy, fundamentally. Yeah, yeah. And I think that architectural practice, while the transition in the building form might not be as evident, because there aren't any diktats, that connection with those kind of empathetic moments can only happen by conjecture or otherwise, by examining moments when it was half-formed mm. or when it was being formed. And even if we see those in the finished work, mm. I think that it's always helpful to see something more ambiguous. I mean, this is an architect I'm interested it's, in. That. Yeah, I, it also, for me, brings up something I'm interested in as well, which is that you have developed a particular relationship with architects as well. So, so we've talked about the institution, but your relationship with architects I imagine has given you a more empathetic position as well in terms of being able to read the drawings in a particular way. Well, I, I hope that's true. It would be mm. surprising on the face of it. Um, if it hadn't, uh, I, I think it's worth talking here, oddly enough, about the intensity of the uh, the acquisition process yes. is so different from my going to Christie's and seeing a drawing I like and mm. leaving a bid um, you know in the with Caesar I went six or eight times to Porto looked at the drawings in the archive sometimes went with Caesar himself to look at the projects where I've been looking at the drawings mm -hmm. Uh, then went back to the archive, then went away to think about it. Then, do you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it was really, uh, and that, at its best, because you establish some kind of relationship of trust with the architect, mm -hmm. it it um, it it means you then make better choices. Okay. You know, and I'm and one of the things. Uh, that I'm incredibly, you know, I'm always conscious of the fact that I can't have everything and that, so I have to be in a position where Avara Caesar trusts me enough and the narrative that I can make about mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. why I've chosen a particular three projects and not mm. 20 mm -hmm. others mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, uh, so, so yes, at the level actually of the people whose archival material I'm acquiring, but I think it's also broader than that in terms of my working relationship on building projects, site, yeah. however, however modest. Um, uh, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure Andrew bear witness that I'm the client from hell in that respect. Uh, in that respect. I doubt I'm sure I'm the perfect client in other ways, but... Uh, I, think we can, I think we can get to that. I'm interested in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do. I do I, as you might reasonably be. I do, I do want, because basically... Uh, but I am interested in this thing to do with process. Mm. When was that? Like, when you're interested in seeing something being worked out, is that something that as a collector, because it isn't the valuable stuff, it's valueless. No, no. It's, it's, so it's, it's often valueless. And, the and just to go back mm -hmm. to these demon institutions, the argument from them 
is always, listen, we can only show one page of a sketchbook at a time. They represent conservation nightmares. If anybody looks through them, they fall to pieces. So they, they were, look at it in another way, they were also an opportunity for me. They were, but what's really interesting about that contact, which is Mary's point, I think, as well, which is that these things are frequently not valued by the person who made them beyond sentimentality, right? Did you hear Tony Fretton talking about that at the Courtauld? I didn't, no. Uh, he said, sort of fractionally, grumpily, um, until Neil and Olivia came along, because, you know, all Tony's... I have the list and gathering material, but all Tony's other sketches have now gone to the V&A. Other sketches, it's a kind of wonderful solution to the to the sketchbook problem. Until these two came at me, I just piled the sketchbooks in a cupboard and I thought I might one day look at them again, or I might refer to something. Mm. But they had no. I mean, they certainly had no financial value, but they also had no. Uh, real he never felt they had a kind of legacy they weren't part of the legacy in any very obvious way I remember being in Galfetti's house not that long ago and in his bedroom there's a stack of Ikea boxes like 40 of them yeah. full of notebooks yeah. and I, I just gestured at them and he just he kind of shrugged and he didn't know what to do with them and it feels like the architect makes this kind of carapace of detritus that they don't really want to throw away, but which yeah. has no value. And what I'm kind of interested in here is because if an architect ever takes that stuff seriously, and I'm cognizant here of practices that I respect, yeah. like Herzog and Demuren, whose archive they themselves are giving a value to, mm -hmm. I'm worried it kills process. So I value people like you because one can't second guess your arrival in somebody's life, but the point that the architect starts to think that the process work itself has value as an art practice independent of the architecture also seems to threaten the very fragility of the thing that we're talking about, am I? SOM had this person they employed to go round the office in the evenings and destroy any sketches. So wow. there was that... Isn't that something? That's and, crazy. Well, I, I, it's <laughs> like... No, no, the building is... You know, we don't want to show our workings. There's always this running joke yeah. about there being somebody in at Foster's who does the conceptual sketch on the night before the building opens yeah. and then Norman can sign it in the morning and put into it that gets in a frame and then it's given to the client as they cut mm. the ribbon I don't know if this is true I think there's a couple of practices that do that I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure so in, in a way you you also have mm. to access accept that architects act have some distorting agency in this game as well it, but worth to, to, to go back to the sketchbooks worth saying that a critical factor for me with Caesar uh, or with the Caesar the choice of the Caesar projects that I made was that his own sketchbook practice did not start until Malaguerra yeah. was kind of begin to be laid out and for a really this funny reason I'm always quoting which is that he was going every week on the train overnight Tuesday working all day on the site taking a train back to um, the river taking a ferry to Lisbon getting on another train going to Porto on Thursday morning he arrives in the office with bits of paper in every pocket somebody in the office goes out and buys a school sketchbook and says please Mr. Caesar <laughs> Look, Obuzia was doing a lot of that yeah. on his flights and on his yeah. travel he yeah. was always drawing so scraps of paper but well, he had a notebook practice as well didn't he, he had a, yeah. Yeah. and the yeah. notebook practice is, is interestingly enough much more self-conscious uh, absolutely yeah, so I mean so so that's yeah, another that aspect of the sketchbooks yeah. is that they're not always the transparent representation of design process that you expect them to be. Yeah. The best you can say is that they go there to be alone or to be themselves. But very often, like Gowan, James Gowan, is using the sketchbooks to, to order reorder history to 
to make a kind of cat typological categorization of projects to adjust his own position towards Sterling. I mean, it's, you know, that's an incredibly specific yeah. uh, and personal use. Agenda. The agenda. Yeah. Um, the Natalini material we have, if you're to believe the sketchbooks, you actually realize that all of the great super studio collages were fully formed as drawings by Adolfo. Um, so this um, myth that they were all engaged in promoting that super studio was this mm -hmm. collective um, where all decisions were made in common and something chilly was a very specific set of different skills uh, which they all brought to the uh, table and shared but um, uh, uh, which only kind of emerged 50 years after the event mm. Mm. this is interesting because I think we should because I want to go back to the biographical mm. theme because I didn't know, want to put across just wanted to finish no, that it's fine, it's fine. thing there and we yeah, resume yeah. but the because this point that you've made, Mary, that Busey almost intended for the notebooks to be seen, so that there's an intentionality there. And, and that we don't need to dwell on the notebooks themselves alone, but I am interested in that too, which is that there are moments where, in the collection, I'm looking at that early Zaha drawing that you've recently acquired, or even that very wonderfully tentative pencil drawing by Ram Kohlhaas to describe the... Uh, Let's call it bad. Nervous. Nervous. It's a nervous drawing by a nervous person drafting. and yeah. Surrounded, to be fair, sitting at a table with four really wonderful drafts. Which is exactly what I'm imagining, is these, this practice made of amazing drawings and we've never seen a drawing from Ram, right? Yeah. And there's a drawing from him. I, I love those moments where you get mm. to see behind what they intended to see. Yeah. Not because of anything else other than they just seem to be fundamentally generous things to have in a collection. They are empower they are energizing, I think, as a, as an architect. And, and I think contribute stronger to the narrative in some ways. At what point did you start caring about the health of the discipline? Because there's a point where the collection <laughs> becomes the collection becomes less about collecting for the sake of a collection, although you might say it is, but it seems to develop an ethical dimension invested in education and the broader culture of architecture, and the word drawing mm -hmm. matters itself almost says that. Yeah. At what point do you start caring about all of us? Yeah, and working with architects. Yeah. Um, I would say, I mean, you've been around, Andrew, <laughs> through most of this, uh, most of this process, because really it, it does amount to the last five or six years. Mm. And the, the, the key step for me was the completion of the archive building in Somerset, um, where for the first time there was a space um, where people could gather and look at, mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, look at the drawings and I could begin to make the arguments I wanted to make about what the original can tell you that a reproduction can't, what looking at it in natural light can tell you, what looking at it, you know, not on a gallery wall, but in a mylar sleeve which uh, treats, I don't know, a, a drawing by Schinkel in exactly the same way yeah. as a drawing by doesn't matter who you know mm. so there was and a room with a fireplace that and a room with a fireplace the fireplace how do you have a fireplace in a room um, that has our the, uh, <laughs> it, and if I'm honest and Hugh uh, Hugh may have a different account of this but it 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 remains the mm. most mannerist uh, thing about that project but I do sometimes tease practitioners who want me to take more material than I really want by saying that before we installed the fireplace we spent a fortune inventing a briquetting machine that for compacting architectural drawings 
Yeah, I, 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 it's it's nonsense. We very rarely light the fire, but one day I, I'm going to send a Christmas card of the just of the archive building from the outside with this mm. curl of smoke <laughs> drifting up the no, valley. It's beautiful though, because it does, like you say, it you see the drawing differently. You th- and this is yeah. and you know also uh, we learnt in those early days such a lot these these practitioner students coming there and really kind of looking at a drawing by Corbusier and kind of going what's this got to do with me you know and that that was kind of like a frustration um, uh, for me that I'm sure I've said this before but there was an AA studio came down and I was I don't know doing something else and I kind of just said to the tutors just go into the archive and pull, get them to pull open drawers and look at things um, and actually it was fantastically powerful because they pulled out, they, they kind of looked at for material that represent, that related to some problem of representation that was current for them. And then of course it was very funny because you went in and, oh yeah, you're looking at that staircase and yeah, it's by Corbusier. And they went, oh, you know. <laughs> so it, but but it, it was a kind of a way of sneaking up on them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of, got their attention and mm-hmm. you know they were looking at it in a way for the right reasons they call it the right reasons the wrong reasons but the right for me the right, right connected with but the other wonderful uh, discovery in those at that period was the 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 value of gathering people by different from different disciplines mm-hmm. around these artifacts so that uh, it wasn't two architectural historians arguing about which version of mm. the Petit Trianon we were. Um, you know, I always, always joke that there are these two art historian, architectural historians in France who one day are going to fight a duel about whether a drawing I have was the presentation drawing for the Petit Trianon that was presented to the king in November. November the 16th or you know December the second right yes I have kind of zero interest in that I am very interested in the theater of the thing being presented to Mm. the king and what they chose to include and what they chose not to Mm. and Mm. the the strategy in the office Mm. yeah but I'm not so interested in the art history Mm. or these moments when um, when an artist says something which completely deflates the, mm. the architects or yeah. the, about something technical. Pablo Bronstein He's in brilliant, the yeah. brilliant yeah. in the Stone Museum, pointing out to this sort of assembled group of scholars that the problem they were wrestling with, which was Stone um, frantically doing these terrible scribbles that he does on the margins of a rendering for the Tivoli corner, but a different, he's, he's is responding to a different version of the Tivoli corner renderings. Yeah. And it kind of just doesn't work until Pablo says, yeah, but guys, the rendering drawing is done in ink, which takes four days to dry. Mm. So then you have this feeling of so frantic because mm. the office was running four days behind his own imagination and that's in a curious way it's what makes the project yeah, interesting. so who is coming to see your collections we try to um, keep the front as broad as possible in many ways the uh, I'm, I'm beginning to ask more of the visitors sort of it's been mm-hmm. it's been an interesting process of conversion mm-hmm. there's a sense in which you know at the beginning I was just this person eccentric. who was a collector this eccentric who eccentric. had a lot of drawings and I was kind of really pleased if anybody mm-hmm. wanted to come now I want to make it more instrumental push the tutors to really think through mm-hmm. what it is mm-hmm. the students will their students mm-hmm. will benefit most right. from right. seeing and, and actually forcing the at least the mm-hmm. 
Well, ultimately, the and students as well into a collaboration. So, in architecture, then, or architecture, the architecture, art history, mm. uh, curatorial history. Okay. Um, sort of quite active art practice mm. when it mm. when it kind of is uh, offered to me. What I'm, I say this advisedly. What I'm wary of is the whole of the first year coming down. Yes. <laughs> Nobody left it it's, you know, In a way, it was fine, and I they were nice kids, and I really liked the tutors, and I mm. met a couple of the tutors who I kind of have now got marked down to write mm -hmm. a text for me. For you know, Don't worry, I'm quite good. At the, but... God, I felt like the victim of my it's own... It's not a pattern you want My to start, own 15 yeah. people in the archive rule. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I came to do the sixth presentation of to the 100th students, because that was the mm. only way we could... I, I, I sounded very hoarse and yeah. tired, and I felt yeah. sorry for them, you know. Just for our listeners' benefit, he was referring <laughs> <laughs> the entire of Kingston first year who are just back actually not long back from Shadwell um, so, so our apologies and thanks yes. it's, a, it's fine Probably and I'm very you. amused by this idea that um, uh, that there are a hundred students at Kingston uh, designing a shed of unspecific function to sit somewhere in the valley at um, well, and actually, I've sort of made it a condition with Ava that I want to plan all in the same scale with all of them on it. But was curious about that is that that that, um, that action of say a hundred first years, okay, that's yeah. not it's not normally like that. No, there no, are very no, few architects who visit Shatwell without conjecturing something. Which I find interesting. So there's yeah. the classic mm -hmm. one of the where does the obelisk go, the Peter Smithson's yeah. obelisk, which everybody had an opinion about, or how do we repair the crack column and the tractor shed, which we again all have our opinions about. And I find it really interesting down there, and this is where we might go back to Mary's question about working with architects yeah. as clients. Which I, which I took to be what yeah. Mary's question yeah, 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 was. Yeah, it was, absolutely. and I, think and I diverted the conversation right. I apologize we're coming back to you. <laughs> <laughs> we're not letting it go because we've referred to this kind of remarkable building by Hugh Strange the archive building obviously mm -hmm. and there are other buildings on the on the farm um, but before kind of going into what it's like to work with an architect and being the dispassionate observer of architectural practice it feels to me like people engage with Shatwell not for the ends of the building necessarily being constructed of course we'd all like that but because it's the site of a particular type of criticism which doesn't exist in text form anymore. And there's something interesting about it is that, uh, say we take Robin Evans, who's the contemporary Robin Evans? In the art world, there are, there are many actually mm -hmm. who write mm -hmm. enablingly for practitioners. Yeah. But in architecture right now, I can't think of anybody, which is very sad. And I think what happens in Shatwell is these kind of very strange conversations where actually they're quite transgressive, quite unscholarly at times, quite scholarly at other times, all in the same mm -hmm. half an hour. Mm -hmm. And somehow the ability of the architects who are there to be dreaming about the place somehow ends an edge to that in some weird way. So there's a kind of... The commissioning of an architect isn't necessarily, from your perspective, to produce a building all the time, mm -hmm. although there are buildings always. But there does seem to be... It does seem to be part of the collection. The conversation with architects about live projects does mm -hmm. seem to be necessary for the collection to remain alive. Uh, this might be me overreading it. Well, I mean, the exhibition you're having right now. Yes, is is actually that. not is, and I'm not sure how um, to respond to that at a theoretical level. Um, but I could describe to you what I what happened last week at Please. Chatwell, uh, which was Jan de Wilder and his uh, teaching colleague Anna Maria appeared on Monday at lunchtime with 12 students and an absolute rule made by Jan that there was no programme. That is, the they were staying in uh, bed and breakfast locally so they could walk into the site. Mm -hmm. uh, and it wasn't specifically about the archive or about the buildings. There, there was no output that... Um, I was, I have to tell you, 
more disorientated and scared by this than the students were, and they were pretty <laughs> shaken. Uh, uh, but there were two. I mean, but the answer, and and we sort of well, we did in the end two specific exercises that were, um, uh, I thought, incredibly productive. Uh, one was that we took uh, a slideshow of the models from the Alternative History exhibition, mm. anonymised it, so nobody knew whose model mm. they were looking <laughs> at, showed it to the students and said, you have until 10 o'clock tomorrow morning to produce a drawing or series of drawings in responses, in response mm -hmm. to mm. the things, which are, in fact, on the downstairs. Oh, at the exhibition? It, yeah, I, we, we, Sarah and I hung them this morning. Fantastic. Yeah. It's fun, actually, yeah. because, it, I mean, at one level, it's another mm. layer. Mm. Uh, but, and then, the, the, at 10 o'clock the following morning, by nice chance, uh, Thomas Bergmanaman was staying in Bruton. He'd come to see the archive. And so we did a uh, kind of review session with Jan and Thomas, mm. uh, of the drawings which actually was and where we were then I mean it was a nightmare for me because I had to find having anonymized the reference drawings I then had to find the original drawings <laughs> while the review was going on but it was very funny so we, mm. we talked about their drawings we then found the model to which they were referring and more or less by that time I had found the original drawings that we pinned them all up but it was very the 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 students got a huge amount out of it. It's a little say. bit of a, an exquisite corpse exercise. Uh, and that don't nice. don't push that knife in <laughs> any deeper, Mary, because it in a way it, you're you're right. There's a danger that it, the whole thing becomes an exquisite corpse exercise, and I don't want to. The other aspect of last week was. I said that in the most positive way. I, I took it positively. <laughs> okay. um, the other aspect of the of the no program week was that Jan had nothing to do, mm. so he went round and round and round the the site, right, yeah. uh, and it became uh, this incredibly engaging. Exchange. What are you going to do here? Mm. What do you think about this? Mm. You know. So and and lots of um, lots of new avenues opened up as a result. Not really about the architecture, but about how the site might be used. Mm. Sort of. Re I mean, Andrew knows the site very yeah, well. Site of potentiality. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That you know, the, the vision for the tractor shed is actually like it's the market building. Yeah, which makes sense. Which makes wonderful sense. Mm -hmm. God, it needed somebody to say it, you know. And and Jan is wonderful, yeah. wonderfully fast on his feet. Yeah. And then by yesterday morning, I think he'd had a sort of psychotherapy session with Kendra at breakfast. By yesterday morning, he was racing around finding little off-cut bits of wood from the sauna construction and so his response which he hadn't made to alternative histories <laughs> was completed by yesterday evening and consists only of found objects on the oh, site in response to a Michael Graves drawing where the narrative he's invented for you did you see it I did, yeah. Yeah. the narrative he's invented for it is that they were it was a poor household Michael's uncle made him this box of bricks from found objects and look at all the damage that it did <laughs> <laughs> anyway but that's a that was I, I have to say I think we're all totally exhausted from last week but it was fantastically productive and fun mm. but it's interesting because you're probably not aware of this but being in Chatwell is exhausting I mean, you know, in a good way, in a good way, in a good way, because it's, it's, it's a place where you're sort of always on, because it's full of potentiality, not because of uh, anything that one might be specifically doing. Like, I'm 
thinking equally when it's a summer school down there and these the 16 year olds going around doing yeah. exactly the same mm-hmm. thing that it seems to be about this living place where thinking gets turned over and the common conduit that carries that thinking really is the people who live there so you Kendra others that are there but the collection is part of that and it feels to me a very contemporary uh, a con- very contemporary requirement like I don't know what the contemporary scene would feel like were we not all in some sense aware that this existed and I don't want to blow too much smoke in your direction no, but, uh, but, but I do think it's part of it that's sort of misunderstood uh, from, 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 mm. from uh, in terms of institutional setups which is that the way that uh, practitioners be they art or architecture come at archival or other conditions now is from the sense of potentiality mm-hmm. not from the sense of was the meeting at 6pm on the 6th of November or whatever, although that has its place. Yeah, yeah, I'm not... Mm. But I, I, I find I, that... It has its place, I'm just not interested. Yes. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would say two things about that site. Um, uh, one is that none of the early... Bu- none of the buildings there are in their original function. So it's like this constant process of rethinking and mm-hmm. right? um, and that I have no intention that it would ever be finished. Yeah, it can't mm-hmm. be. And I think that's mm-hmm. an important but part. But I think that's the potentiality of that's it. That's the potentiality yeah. um, of it. Peter Smithson referred to it always as Neil's, Neil's big playground. Yeah. <laughs> And I wasn't quite comfortable with the joke, but... Um, but uh, why not? Because why we not? tend to... But why not? And he didn't mean it badly. Thinking has to be serious, yeah, but why can't yeah. it be playful? Yeah. Right? Yeah. There is a sense of humour in some ways. Um, yeah. It's, that is serious. Yeah, yeah. no, no. And, uh, and uh, yeah. that, but, that has to be retained. Yeah. Well, well, actually, it makes me think it's not, it's not, a, it's not a playground, actually. Because it's it's not about that, it's 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 a garden, and then I'm interested because it's your mother being this extremely eminent landscape gardener, designer, because actually it's something that you tend, you weed it, you weed your landscape, you weed your architects, you weed your collection, you replant, you you do all that kind of stuff. I'm using crude metaphors yeah. here, but I mean, but for what it's worth, though, Andrew. There is a play. There is a play. There's a play. Listen, my mother is playing. Yeah. For what it's worth, Andrew, I would say that my conception of um, my passionate belief is that it's all landscape. That's the core discipline of which architecture is one subset. Slightly, Slightly overstates its role and yeah. uh, thing. but it's no different from arranging the furniture mm-hmm. uh, urbanism uh, landscape design and gardening mm-hmm. yeah you know that it, it's all about the relation of these mm-hmm. things to each other mm-hmm. in constant um, that's what I think strangely enough I learnt I may be making too much of this in the early years when um, Ricky Burdett was running the cities program at the LSE Mm. it was partly that we had kind of snuck it into the LSE as a design program without telling anybody at the LSE that that's what it was I remember putting in tiny letters this will be a studio program it was the (laughs) only clue we offered to people Um, so it got through the academic committees because Richard Senate was kind of going, we might have to do this. Um, but it was, uh, it was fantastic because we had these really smart graduate students of whom about a third were architects, but the rest could have come from any social science discipline or be lawyers or oh, classicists. Yeah. And the, the thrilling thing was then kind of going through the school and finding the guy in the economics department who's sort of was dealing with some aspect of uh, urban life and saying come to reviews and be an urbanist mm. 
and what he would or he or she would complain about was that the, the his discipline had become so rarefied that not even the economist across the corridor in the economics department would understand the basis of his research mm. and so we just had this funny forum that we created where people could could gather mm. and talk about mm. the city as a and that's, I can't say we sustained it at the city's program and somehow the student demographic changed, all sorts of things changed. But the, in those, that model in those early years was a huge, is a huge influence on what I mm. would like to try and do mm -hmm. at Chawal. Yeah, yeah, and are doing. I'll try, hopefully. Before we wrap up actually we always have one question that we close all these interviews with uh, which is if you had advice for somebody thinking of studying architecture or studying it and maybe we're all studying what would it be and I would I think you know I'm going to answer this one which is this story I always tell about this um, uh, 22 year old uh, Matt who uh, had sort of done a bit of a photography course at Camberwell, kind of hated it, said to a mutual friend, oh, I'm thinking of moving to architecture. And uh, the mutual friend said, oh, well, go and talk to Neil. And I said, come and work in the yard, do whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had a really good time um, uh, because he was sort of both emptying the rubbish bins and driving our exhibition to the Swiss Architecture Museum, whatever, or installing it. And after six months, I said, what's well, so now what have you decided? And he made what I thought was a lovely response. He said, I'm absolutely clear that studying architecture is the best general humanist education I could uh, find mm -hmm. anywhere. Mm -hmm. And there's a problem, which is in order to do it, you have to want to be an architect. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. I thought it was smart. Yeah, yeah. it's very smart. Uh, and, but it also means, it's huh. also why it's really direct influence on the move to do a drawing summer school for kids who are trying to make up their mind. Mm -hmm. It's why the next initiative, if there is one, will be about a foundation year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What it needs is a really tough foundation year. It'd be fantastic. It could be so powerful. Mm. And nobody's doing it right, I don't think. Mm. Yeah. Does that answer the question? It does, and watch yeah. this space, I guess. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so thank you very much. Yeah. Okay, no, well, that was, that was fun, and I hope I didn't repeat myself. Not at all. Let's get down to this exercise. Thank you for listening to this episode of Register, and thanks again to Mary Vaughan Johnson and to Neil Hophouse. Before signing off, just a reminder to subscribe and to leave your comments and all of that. It all helps. And to thank the Register team, uh, Matt Phillips and Matt Wells, um, who work with me on the publication and the other sides of Register. So watch this space. There's going to be some books coming out later this year. Um, Christoph Luder, who helps us with funding bids and colleagues in their research applications. And, of course, Laura Evans, who co-curates this series of lectures and long-form interviews. I do hope you join us next time. Thank you.